and free assembly. We pray that you will bless us, that in our own lives and hearts and minds, we might turn to you, and that we might give our hearts over to you for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We pray that you will accept the gifts which we bring, and that you will direct in their use that they might bring much honor and glory to you. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you. We, we begin to look into some of the pilgrim psalms. These are psalms that were sung by people who were making their way up to the city of Jerusalem. Geographically, Jerusalem was up higher than any other city in all of Palestine. And so when the, those uh, ancient Israelites went up to worship God, they made their way up to the city of Jerusalem. And Psalm 120, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, are called the Pilgrim Psalms. And uh, we were saying last week that in these Psalms, what we are learning today is just exactly why I had Sandy Bam to give his testimony a moment ago, that the Christian life is a pilgrimage. We are not tourists, but we are pilgrims. This world is not our home, but we are pilgrimage on a pilgrimage to heaven. We have a dedication to Jesus Christ that takes us through many dangers and hardships and trials. And so last week we looked at uh, uh, Psalm 120, and we saw, In my distress I cried unto the Lord. And I pointed out that it is often when we go through distress that we do cry unto the Lord. And he hears us and he delivers us from our trouble. The people of God had been taken away into captivity in Babylon, and we believe that these psalms were written when at last they were permitted to go back after that long period of captivity, back to their beloved Jerusalem, and back to the hills that surrounded it. Then we look briefly at Psalm 121. That psalm says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill." But that's not a statement that ends there. It says, from whence does my help come? Now the help does not come cascading out of the hills, nor from the glimmer of the snow of the mountains. But the psalmist is reminded, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That the maker of heaven and earth has also made laws by which we live, and that when we turn to him, he can bring our lives into conformity with his will. This does not mean that in this pilgrimage we will never come into difficulty or trouble. But as I pointed out then, it means that we will always have the joy of knowing that God is with us, that our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, that he has promised never to leave us alone. Now, I've said this by way of introduction uh, to start into another thing. And before I do, I want to 
tell you that last Sunday night, our kids check in by telephone on Sunday night, and they usually always call collect, and then they always ask me to call back on the cheap rate, that's that Sprint service or whatever it is, and then they wind up talking much longer, so it hasn't saved any money. Uh, but anyway, Nathan, our, our last youngest son, called uh, last week on Sunday night, and then Frank, and then Sam. Well, Nathan called, and he was a little homesick. And uh, so right after he, uh, we had talked, he, he wrote this letter, uh, and he said, uh, Dear Mom and Dad, howdy, I'm sure it, it sure was good talking to you tonight. I really didn't want to hang up. I love you both, and so on. I'm sorry for giving you the impression of being real lonely and dejected. And uh, then he goes on into the letter to say that he remembered that when his brothers used to call in that uh, they weren't so chipper themselves. Uh, we all listened to each other on the phone. And uh, then he says, at any rate, I can't wait to get home. I'm studying hard, uh, but I'll try to exercise at least three or four times a week uh, these next few weeks. Again, I really covet your prayers. Dad, Psalm 121 is great. Thanks for telling me to look it up. That psalm brings real assurance of the Lord's love. But be careful about prescribing that to a homesick mountain boy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point. Uh, I will lift up my eyes to the hill. So he's out there on the plains of Illinois uh, thinking about that. Now then, when they went up to Jerusalem, they were going to the temple to worship. And we need to come to church. Why do people need to go to church? As a pastor, one of the great afflictions of the ministry is listening to the excuses people give for not going to church. Uh, uh, my mother made me go when I was little. That's one of the things. There are too many hypocrites in the church. Uh, I got the greatest answer from my sister out in Texas on that. Uh, she said, I'd rather be in church with a few hypocrites than to be in hell with all of them. <laughs> uh, uh, it's okay. Then there are people who say, it's my only day to sleep in. Uh, well, uh, why? We need to go to church. Because we've made promises to God to go to church when we took our vows of church membership. I will support this church in its worship and work to the best of my ability. That's what we say. And uh, do you know this? I go to church because the Lord's Day is a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. The believers assembled on that day in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus. I go because Scripture commands us to go. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. In the epistle to the Hebrews, we are instructed that. And I go because I need to go. I need the encouragement of other Christians, and I hope that I can bring encouragement to them too. But when we hear what Sandy spoke of a moment ago, a doctor who was in the church, and yet a person who was not converted to Jesus Christ as his Savior, it's time for us to realize that there's a difference between uh, uh, being a member and a real disciple. Uh, I copied these words from a man who is not an, uh, a conservative, that is a 
staunch evangelical Christian, but he's a smart observer of what takes place in the church. Most churches could be two-thirds smaller and lose nothing in power. Few pastors would dare to say that more than one-third of their church really is responding to the claims of Christ seriously. The second-third are peripheral. The third-third are simply out of it. And that's what Sandy was saying a moment ago. And then he says that most of the pastors are blissfully supine just as their people are. His minister could not understand why he went forward in a Billy Graham crusade. After all, he was a distinguished doctor and surgeon, and he was a deacon in their church. Why did he go forward? He went forward because in his heart there was a need. He had never yet yielded his life to the real lordship of, the, of Christ. The church, for many people, is a club. It's highly exclusive. It has, theoretically, the most stringent standards of any organization in the world. Jesus Christ said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. How many people do you suppose really take that seriously when they join any church? If we can't buy the standards, then we ought to stay out of the church. If we are in and not measuring up to the standards, then we ought to get out. John Wesley once preached in a place and they asked him how many, how many people joined. He said none of them joined, more than a hundred left. We had a great revival. And that's the way it really would be if people took the standards of Christ seriously. Unless the language be thought unduly harsh, which Jesus has spoken, it should be remembered that the dictionary defines us, tells us that we're not to sit, we, we are to persuade people, not by seducing them into church membership. I was jesting a moment ago about Linda, because I know her commitment to Jesus Christ. If I did not, I would not have said what I did. I was ready to present her to the session because I know of her testimony and her faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's not a soft sell gospel, but it's a gospel that means that the Christian, in following Jesus Christ, has got to be willing to put him first in all things just as he commanded. Now, what's happened in the church to cause it to degenerate to the way it's gone? That's why I put in an old lesson this morning from the old book of 1 Kings, which is paralleled in 2 Chronicles. Let me read it to you. It's just a few verses from 1 Kings 14. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. And Rehoboam was forty and one years old when he began to reign. And he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. For they built themselves high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also Sodomites in the land. 
Last week I saw a copy of Newsweek magazine that would make you cringe in showing the wretched venereal diseases that have come about as the result of rampant homosexuality in this country and perversion. This used to be a sign of Sodom, and you cannot make Sodom safe. You cannot sanitize Sodom. The judgment of God will come for it. And there were also Sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord did cast out before the children of Israel. Now, we are very much in that shape in America today. And we're in that shape largely because the church has taken down the shields of gold that ought to be there for discipleship and has put in instead shields of brass. Let's see what happened in Rehoboam's life. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shashak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. That's the city we've been talking about where worship is made. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. And the treasures of the king's house, he even took away all. And he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their stead shields of brass and committed them unto the chief of the guard which kept the door of the house. And it was so when the king went into the house of the Lord that the guards bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Shields of brass for shields of gold in the house of God. You see this weak, spineless king, Rehoboam, had come to the throne after Solomon. Solomon had used David's great authority by which David consolidated the kingdom and brought it together. Then Solomon came and he taxed the people heavily to carry out all of the luxurious desires and plans that he had made. And then Solomon's heart was turned away from God because of affairs that he had with foreign wives. And Solomon died. And it often is the case that the sins of the fathers crop out in their children. And Rehoboam comes to the throne. And Rehoboam sought counsel as to how he should govern his people. And there were old advisors who came to him and said, Your father taxed the people too heavily. Let up on the taxation. Deal gently with these people and they will follow you forever. And then he called in younger counselors and he said, what would you do? And the younger counselors said, show these people who is boss. Tell them that if your father whipped them with a whip, that you will whip them with scorpions. That was a whip with ten lashes instead of one. And so he took the advice of the younger counselors and he told the people, if my father's hand was heavy upon you, then one finger of mine will be greater than my father's heavy hand. And do you know what they said? To your tents, O Israel. 
a famous expression, just by one swaggering speech of insolence, Rehoboam lost forever ten of the twelve tribes. They went away. The word Rehoboam means enlarger of my kingdom. He enlarged it from twelve to two. And that's an interesting thing. His insolence was there, then he became weak, then the king of Egypt moved in and took over. And there in the temple of God were the shields of gold which Solomon had made, beautiful shields of gold to the honor of God. And the king of Egypt took all of this gold away and took it back to Egypt with him. And Rehoboam made a cheap imitation. He took brass an alloy metal and burnished it so that it looked like gold but it was not gold and he had guards to keep the people at a distance and they solemnly took their cheap imitations into the temple and hung them up on the walls and the people had to go through this this is what happens all too often in the church a shield of gold what is a shield of gold that's been taken down? The Bible is the shield of gold. The Bible is the word of God. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I believe in the infallibility of the Bible. I believe that it is the rule that God has given us by which if we live, we may know the joy of the Lord, but which if we disobey, we will bring down God's wrath upon us. You can amend the book of church order all you want to, but you cannot amend the Bible. You cannot amend the Bible. The Bible is our rule of faith and practice. It is the rule that God has given us whereby we know what to believe and what duty he requires of man. And when we take away this Bible and substitute for it what current theologians may be writing that particular week or what modern sociologists might be saying, all we do is drift from one false teacher to the other until we find ourselves in desperate straits and trouble. I have back here, and do not have time to read it to you, a photocopy of some letters of Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was 31 years old, the youngest of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. If you take the American Journal of Psychiatry, you see his uh, silhouette there printed on the, each journal of the American Journal of Psychiatry. He's called the father of American medicine. And that man wrote that he believed that the Bible should be taught in public schools and that prayer should be taught in public schools. And then he went on as the astute psychologist that he was in saying the Bible has truth by which we can live. 
and truth by which we can die. And if we learn it in our early years, it will color all the years in between. And when we are old, its truth comes back to comfort us. He wrote these words. Benjamin Rush, father of American medicine, signer of the Declaration of Independence. We took down a shield of gold when we put up a Bible that is no longer really believed of as authoritative and is the rule for faith and practice. The church lost a lot when it quit talking about the need for conversion, such as Sandy Bam found, and started talking about sociology and psychology. Well, what about the home? The first institution that God created was really not the church, it was the home. And now we have more divorces than marriages in many states in the United States. Why has this happened? The deterioration of the home is a great tragedy in America. And it comes about people fail because they will not trust in God. God who gives the moral cohesiveness by which they keep their commitments to one another and to their children. And if we do not have those strong homes and those strong children and the strong faith in one another, we deserve to be destroyed. And we will be. If we put up a shield of brass where a shield of gold once stood, I am thankful to God that my poor old mother, who is 88 years of age now and never went through the third grade in school, used to kneel down on her knees by my bed at night with my brother and put her arms around both of us and pray. I am thankful that she wanted me in Sunday school and in church every Sunday. I am thankful that my mother set for me an example which she still holds to to this day. And now when she needs a corneal transplant and is all but blind, what little she can read, she reads the Bible and she believes it. If it hadn't been for her, I wouldn't have been here today. I would be no preacher of the gospel. I would have gone after other things. But I saw faith in her. There was a faith that was real and still is with all the years that have gone by. Now, mothers today hear a lot about diets and fads and things that come and go. But the greatest thing you can give, and I'm thankful that we have in Montreat some wonderful mothers who teach their children the scriptures, who are concerned about their little morning school here, and about a knowledge of the Bible. And we must have this, to have strong Christian men and women. The home is simply essential there. It breaks up because people break up, and they break up because they won't trust in God. Where does all this come back to? I don't have the time. 
It comes back to the individual. From the church, the home, the individual. In your own heart of hearts, have you taken down shields of gold and put up shields of brass instead? Dr. Benjamin Lacey Rose is one of the great preachers in the Presbyterian Church. And I can still remember a sermon that I heard him preach from 2 Timothy down in Anderson Auditorium, where Paul is writing to Timothy, urging Timothy to be faithful to the faith, urging him to persuade men, do the work of an evangelist, said Paul to Timothy, make full proof of thy ministry because it's all the difference between heaven and hell, between life and death. Urge people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Dr. Rose told a moving story, which some of you may have heard him tell, of how his daughter had a little dog by the name of Buttons, and how one day in Richmond, that dog was running across the street toward her and was hit by an automobile. And he said, I will never forget going to try to comfort my child when the screech of the tires came and the little dog was hit, and I heard her scream and I saw her pick up that lifeless little dog in her arms and scream out, Oh, Buttons, Buttons, please don't die. Please don't die. And he thought, if my child could love a dog like that, what's happened to me that I don't love the souls of men and women enough to persuade them that they need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, or they will be lost and go to hell forever. He said, I can remember the day when I promised God that I wouldn't let a day go by without speaking to someone about Jesus Christ. But what happened to me? A shield of gold had been taken down and a shield of brass put in its place. We need to look back over our lives, all of us, your preacher as well as each of you, and see the vows and commitments which we have made and ask the Lord to enable us to renew our faith so that we mean what we say when we say that we belong to him. What is a Christian? Let me tell you briefly, so if you're not, you'll know. A Christian is one of conviction. He believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he provided salvation for him when he died on the cross. If you believe that, it means that you're willing to live by it. And based upon that belief, you make a commitment. And the name of the game is commitment. You commit your life to the Lordship of Christ. It's not enough to say you believe. The devils also believe and tremble. 
But if you believe, you commit your life to the Lordship of Christ. That means when someone does me wrong or I do someone wrong, I have to do what I can to make it right. I don't have any choice because I'm under the authority and command of Jesus Christ. What a difference that would make in our school, in our church, in our community, in our relationships if we really let the Lordship of Christ take root in our lives. The nurture and admonition of the Lord we subscribe to. Nurture means to prune, to cut out. I watched Ivan Stafford the other day cut out some uh, useless branches on some rose bushes that I have to make them grow better. And we need to cut out some junk in our lives and nurture them in the right way. Admonition of the Lord means the instruction of the Lord. We get it from his word. Conviction, commitment, then conduct. What we are speaks louder than what we say. And we ought to live so much for Jesus that our lives will speak for him when our lips might timidly falter. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, none of us can plead any merit or desert of our own. None of us can plead any extenuating circumstances. None of us can plead the frailty of our human nature. None of us can plead the force of temptations which we have encountered. None of us can plead the persuasion of others who led us astray. All of us have to admit that our sins are our own doing. And so we confess to you and pray that from what we have heard this day we might take a new inspiration and have a new walk in life that will cause us to take seriously the commands of Jesus Christ and cause us to take down the shields of brass and put up the real shields of gold of solid commitment to his lordship, he who loved us and gave himself for us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.